0: Bite holes and politicians impressed the digitators and magicians first you see the money then you don't there's nothing to fill the holes while they're filling their pockets bite holes and politicians bouncing down the road everybody's wishing for no more corruption and dysfunction It's gonna take Divine intervention.
3: And God bless you all out there. You are now listening to the Founders Show, the voice of the Founding Fathers, coming to you deep within the bowels of those mystic and cryptic alligator swamps of the Big Easy, that old Crescent City, New Orleans, Louisiana, and high up on top of that old Freedom Cypress tree. This is your very
2: own. It's been Gary Baba of the Republic, Chaplain High McHenry. With your radical moderate and resident reporter Christopher Tidmore And ladies and gentlemen, we've got quite the show for you today As we come to you uh, on here in WRNO and WSLA It's in the wake of a tale of two votes As Steve Scalise managed to whip the votes together in D.C. on the Obamacare repeal His one-time protege and assistant Cameron Henry did the same Getting the votes together in the State House of Representatives for the budget bill and there is much to tell about hospitals in both bills. And even later, we're going to talk about a, a question. Did Jazz Fest cause Rachel Johnson's victory in the civil district court race? Folks, we're going to talk about, did the white candidate lose to the black candidate in that race because a bunch of white people went and heard music at Jazz Fest? It's actually an interesting thing, and you we're going to talk about that at length. But we can't on this, the Founders Show, begin the show without talking about the major story of the week. And it's not the future of American healthcare and one-sixth the economy. It's not the future of our universities and our hospitals in Louisiana. It's a consequential subject. Statues. We're talking about the Confederate monuments.
3: It is the future of our culture, because if we don't know our past, we are going to really mess up our future. Those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Is that right, Chris?
2: That is true. That is true. Uh, but... We are going to talk about that with a true person who's not only studied history, he's performed it for massive crowds. Joining us via phone link is the uh, immediate past executive director of the Louisiana Living History Foundation, Mr. Martin Sutton. Marty, of course, was the key player, along with Tim Pickles, in putting on the uh, bicentennial reenactment of the Battle of New Orleans, where 1,588 reenactors came through from all over the country. He's an active uh, a participant in keeping history alive and making history taught and remembered as a private businessman. He's not an academic historian, yet he's done probably more to teach history as one individual individual than any hundred academic historians I have know. He also happens, hi, to live across the street. I mean, directly across the street from the Jefferson Davis Monument on Jefferson Davis and Park. I know
3: that. I've been there many times. Thank you, Marty.
2: And Marty, I want to ask you, because you came into this situation looking at the monuments, and you were a defender of them. They taught history. You actually made a very brilliant proposal, as many did, to Try to teach both sides of the history that you could keep the monuments but also put civil rights leaves. You you had a whole few ideas, but you've been watching what's been going on at the Jefferson Davis statue, and you came out this week surprising a lot of people with a quite different opinion in the wakes of these demonstrations. Martin Sutton, can you tell us about it?
4: Well, uh, two years ago, initially when they started the uh, discussion of removing the monuments, um, I was, you know, a staunch supporter of leaving those monuments in place uh, for the very reason that you're saying, because um, history, irregardless of whether we leave the monument up or take it down, uh, we don't change history. History is the same. Uh, these things did happen. And irregardless in my mind as to whether you were for or against them, uh, the, the the monument or the person that, that the monument holds up in regard, uh, Jefferson Davis, I thought, well, if I was against them, if I was against that person, I would walk by it every day and say, well, you know, this is a reminder of something that never needs to happen again. Um, and of course for the proponents of the monuments, I think, you know, everyone wanted, you know, to, to, to keep them in place so that the history of that person, uh, whether it's good or bad would be remembered for all of us. Uh, and, and there's varying opinions, but, uh, this week, and I was for leaving them in place, but this week after seeing the, uh, the chaos unfold, uh, at the corner of canal and Jeff Davis, uh, I say take them down. And there's several reasons I would say that. Uh, one in particular is uh, the groups that are on site right now, for and against. I don't see very many people in those groups and certainly not the most outspoken people that are in those groups that represent the ideal that I have in terms of why they should stay up. Um, secondly, I think at this point, because of the, the controversy that's been stirred, uh, by, you know, our local politician, uh, I think that if we leave them up, if the people that care about those monuments really want them to be maintained, if we leave them up, they're going to be destroyed. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come by and throw a rope around it and pull it down. Uh, there's no, I don't see them being able to survive in the climate that's been, um, that I've seen out at the end of, at the end of the street here. It's, it's, it's been a very ugly scene. Um, the, the side, uh, Sunday night we went down when the rumors were they were taking uh, the monuments down. I think Liberty came down first um, and during the process I was at Jeff Davis Liberty was coming down at the same time there were a lot of uh, people from the local community, some for, some against. It was peaceful on both sides. Uh, there was no controversy between the two groups other than they had different opinions. As the week moved on, uh, the taunts came from the side of people that wanted, wanted them taken down. They were taunting the people that were out, you know, trying to protect the monument. And as the, the people that were trying to protect the monument sent out, you know, requests for more assistance from other people, the crowd changed. Um, we saw people coming in from all over other states, which is fine because that, that, you know, that monument stood for, you know, it, it doesn't belong to New Orleans. It doesn't belong to Louisiana. If you know, it belongs to, the people um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this word, and I'm, I'm real apprehensive about using it, but uh, you know that they were protecting their heritage. Um, but in 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 light of everything that's happened at this point, I, I don't see how they can stay up. I, I, I'm not saying that we need to abolish that history, but what I have seen doesn't give me a feeling that the history is being preserved by that monument being uh, by that monument being. At the end of the street, it's not been taught properly on either side. And we have allowed because our schools don't teach, you know, history in its entirety. Uh, we have allowed groups that have negative, you know, negative aspects to adopt symbols in our country and make them their own that, you know, create controversy between groups that are, uh, that are against those symbols.
3: Marty, let me weigh in on this. Let me, let me weigh in on this. Uh, first of all, I have several issues with what you're saying. If you're saying that if anybody threatens to destroy something or remove something and, of course, have to break the law to do it, then we just have to let them do it or we have to remove the thing so they won't do it. If that's the case, then you're giving in to the bully. You're letting the bully control the situation. And whenever you do that, you lose. And by the way, there goes history. Once these monuments go, there'll be more to go. They'll be on a roll then. They'll know they have a precedent, and they can go through America. They can go through our history and rip it to shreds any way they want to. They're already doing it in the history books. The Jivey League colleges have basically destroyed real American history. We have a postmodern view of history now, which means a make-believe view. That's literally what postmodernism is. And uh, so I can't agree with you on that. As far as the crowds go, I was there too. And what I saw was the only violent ones – with to take the monuments down, they were violent. They were throwing rocks and bricks at our group. Uh, they were very aggressive, very threatening. Uh, and I know that the leadership on our side, the Save the Monuments group, whenever we see anybody getting out of hand on our side, getting too loud, uh, you know, getting engaging in too hot of an argument, let's say with the other side, we go, I mean, we go in and pull them out. I haven't seen one of their radicals in any way stopped by their side. So uh, this is uh, really wrong about what's going on here. And if we let them take these monuments down and we don't put up a good fight, then we, ju- then we just need to roll over and say, w- w- we're, you know, we- we're not going to respect American history. We're not going to fight for it. We're not going to believe in it. We're not going to call for truth. We're going to let the lies rule. I can't do that. And I'll tell you, there's another issue here. It's called the Fifth Commandment very important in the Bible, and the Founding Fathers made it very, they emph- emphasized extremely that the Constitution and the su- success of America rested upon the Bible and especially on the Ten Commandments. Why you, that's why you have the Ten Commandments on the door of the Supreme Court, behind the judges, on the alcove above the uh, the entrance, the, the gable end, why you have it all over Congress. Uh, the Ten Commandments are very, well, the Fifth Commandment is to honor your parents that, the, that your days might be long and prosperous upon the earth. And that's a very important commandment. It's actually a much longer commandment. I just gave you the short version. And also, it's the only one that comes with a blessing. It's a very, very important. Parents means your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, all the way back. Well, I have great—and you do too, Marty. You had, you had ancestors in the war between the states. Uh, I have ones that were listed on the monument. So, you know, you can see it's very important to me. All right, now
2: Christopher wants to weigh in on this. I don't want to weigh in. I want to start asking questions, like we're supposed to on the show. Now, uh, folks, those joining us here on the Founder's Show with Hi McHenry and Christopher Tidmarsh, Marty Sutton, the immediate past executive director of the Louisiana Living History Foundation, he has gone from an advocate of keeping the monuments in place to advocating for their removal on the basis that that history is not really being told now. It has gotten so controversial, and um, Marty, I know. I want to ask you uh, two questions about that, particularly you referenced that a lot of people have the Confederate battle flag flying uh, at the event. You also talk to people who are at the pub at the end of the street who are pretty much for the removal. Before I get into any of that, I want to comment on it. I have to tell you guys about an interesting conversation I had Saturday morning. Saturday morning, um, I'm at the Port of New Orleans. A riverboat's coming in. I'm meeting some people. And who should come up but the great grandson of Jefferson Davis? He, he does a lot of Civil uh, uh, War tours. He speaks on his. his. He's, a, he's an incredible guy. You've, we've met him. We've all met him. And we started chatting. He was very active in keeping the, the, the st- his ancestor's statue. But I'm chatting with him about it, and he's, he, he's sorry to see it go. But I told him about, Marty, what, we, what had happened on this program two weeks ago. We had Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser. He said he wants to request the, uh, the statues to either be put on state land or to be put into the Louisiana State Museum under his control, probably in Baton Rouge. And when I told um, Jeff Davis's descendant, who's a historian himself, this, he said, you know, if it were done right and put in the museum and really a site, that is a good place for it and probably more effective than where it is now. And I think he, this is somebody who has a pretty intellectual, and he spends his life, by the way, going around lecturing on his ancestor, and he's deeply proud of it. So let Marty come in and say this. Marty, your thoughts on this as a way of presenting history, is that a legitimate option?
4: I, I think it is. Um, and, and like I said from the beginning, I think that the argument was that we were holding a person that was associated with slavery, up uh, you know, and paying homage to that person. Now, my argument always for the past two years, my argument was: if if any of us were remembered for the most negative thing that we had ever done, I don't think any of us would like that very much. I mean, obviously, he did a lot of other things. He was uh, one of the architects of, the, of our capital. Um, he was, uh, you know, there were things that are not associated with slavery at all that are, are a part of his history. But in and, and in regards to what I said about it, we lose that history. I, I was in agreement with what he was saying until I'm in the middle of a group or two different groups of people with two very different viewpoints, and that history is lost already. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. I, for, for 100 years that monument's been standing, people have been walking by it, and a lot of them, a lot of the local people here couldn't tell you who it was or what it was about. Um, and the monument's been standing there, and, and as an educational tool, it could have been used for the purpose of teaching history. Uh, and teaching it in its entirety, and it could have been amended to include some of the negative aspects of
1: it so that we can balance the scales and make both sides hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll
4: install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. See <laughs> what's, you know, that, that it's not just being put there. Uh, to thumb their nose at, at any minority group. But the, the, the problem I've got with it is that history's not, it doesn't exist down there in those groups. Um, the, there's, there's a very skewed view on one side, and it's skewed the other way on the other side. Now, in, in terms of the people that have come and have thrown rocks and stuff like that, I, I happen to, the, the group that is against the monuments, has basically set up shop on the corner, um, at a local pub. Um, I, I go and I frequent that pub very often. The people there have varying view viewpoints in terms of what, uh, the monuments or politically, I may not necessarily agree with their viewpoint and they may not agree with mine, but we have always lived peacefully in this neighborhood together. What we have seen though is when the flags came out and armed, um, proponents for the monument. And when I say armed, I'm saying there was a guy walking around for the past three days with an assault rifle in front of the monument. Um, And there's video of it. You can go look it up on Facebook. Um, Type in um, New Orleans Monuments, and you'll find lots and lots of video of it. There's lots of guys down there with side arms. Now, the argument would be, and I'm I'm a gun owner, and I'm a proponent of gun ownership, but the argument would be um, that they were defending themselves because things had been thrown at them. But by bringing out the flags and I'm not saying there's anything illegal or wrong about the flags, and I know there's an argument that the flag doesn't stand for what you know these uh, negative supremacist groups have, uh, have used it for over the years. And, and I would agree with that, but perception's reality. And when they brought out the flags on Wednesday, um, it, it was a provocative move on the part of the proponents for that monument, towards the people who were against it. And then when the sidearms came out, um, and although it could be argued, you know, they, you know, we were, we were afraid because the people were trying to attack us, they were throwing stuff at us, they perpetrated everything that they were being accused of being or that that monument was accused of standing for in, in that one fell swoop with those flags and those guns. And then on the other side of the street, the people that were talking peace and love and understanding and that we should, you know, we should be more sensitive to the people that are offends. Had become exactly what they had accused the other side of, of, of being by by yelling, you know, slurs, uh, you know, starting arguments, throwing stuff at them, you know, trying to do things to antagonize them. Both groups turned into the exact opposite of what they were there to argue against. Marty,
3: Marty. Uh, yeah, Marty. Like I
4: said, nobody at the end of the street. Even though I was for the monument stand up, and I'm still for preserving our history. Nobody seemed to know what their history was, and it's just, it, it's sad that we may have to remove, well, and, and I'll, I'll say this too, um, and there's a greater issue here, and you may, Chris, you probably will touch on it later in the show, I'm sure, um, when Liberty came down the first night, um, there were three more monuments remaining, There's Beauregard, Jeff Davis, and Lee. Why didn't those monuments come down at the same time? Um it gave people time on both sides of this issue to rally troops and instigate emotions to so to bring the emotions into this so that the camera crews could gather and get some nice video of all these people fighting and then a lot of the supporters look like a racists and the, the 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 people who were taken to take them down that you know they, they look like you know they, they don't care about our history, and I don't think that's necessarily true on either side I don't think
3: that's Marty. Yeah, Marty. Marty, wait. OK, right, I, I, we follow you here. A little a little real history here like Jefferson Davis. Are uh, they going to put down an interpretive history about that great American patriot, that he was a great war hero in the battle in the, in the Mexican War. He's a, an official veteran. All Confederates are by an act of Congress, uh, official legal American U.S. veterans and. Uh, are they going to put down that he he worked very hard in Congress to save the Union? Are they going to put down that he trained and raised all of his slaves, preparing them for freedom so that they could handle freedom when they were you know finally set free, giving them an education? Did they put down there are they going to put down there that he literally basically gave his plantation to one of the men he had trained. To, for, for upper-level management, a black man, one of his, his slaves? Are they going to put all that in there? Are they going really, to put it down to the fact that he's the one who was a major uh, architect for the U.S. Capitol, that he was uh, the, the one major founder of the Smithsonian Institute? I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, are they going to put all the good things like you said? No. They're going to find one slanderous thing, and they're going to broad-brush him with all of that. And that's why, put it in a museum, Marty, hardly anybody's ever going to see it in a museum. People come to New Orleans just to see these statues. Uh, most museums don't get high attendance, unfortunately, So I know the World War II does. But most do not. That means you're basically going to be hiding it in a museum. And as far as, the, as, far as wait, well, let me finish now. As far as, the, I'm, I met the people carrying away, I met one guy. There's only one guy that I could find. who He, he had an M4. He was a veteran. He had his body armor on. Uh, he's a real peaceful guy. He's a Cajun fellow. And I talked with him about it. And he's just there to real, provide real defense because let me tell you something. Every time these radical leftists show up, there's violence. We've watched it for years now, uh, including the protection of the violent Muslims in this country. Uh, and, and because of the uh, the uneven handed way of dealing with Radical leftists, they seem to get a pass. You know, they tear up Henderson, uh, Baltimore, uh, they they tear up Berkeley, and the police stand down and are afraid to do anything. Uh, But let peacefully assembled people at the Liberty Monument, we have to be surrounded with SWAT teams because some kind of way we're dangerous. They know how to bring out the SWAT teams for that. Uh, that that man, as far as I can tell, was there just strictly to provide defense if defense was not provided, and that that's his legal right. You know why didn't he get arrested? You know why it's legal under the Second Amendment and and his own uh, certifications and whatnot to be there with a weapon to defend his people.
4: I don't disagree with you. I, I don't disagree at all, and it is a legal right to do that. But but my, my point being though, that it gives ammunition. It provides fodder for the other side to be able to say, "Well, there you see, there, there's there's the, 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 and they're going to call it the rebel flag. They're not going to call it the battle flag. They're not going to call it the stars and bars. They're going to say the rebel flag. There's that racist symbol, and there's a bunch of people standing around with guns." Now, and, and I don't disagree with you. That the people that started the initial conflict between the two, because it was a peaceful um, demonstration in front of the monument, the people that started this um, were not. Proponents of the monument—they were the ones who wanted it taken down—and yes, they were yelling slurs and they did throw stuff and and they acted very ugly. I I, I don't disagree that our our group or the group that was defending the monument did stand there very peacefully and tried to do it the right way. But the problem is we have allowed this issue—we've allowed our local government to take people that normally would sit in that bar or sit in the, you know in church or sit in the grocery or go to the grocery store or anywhere else and and cohabitate together very peacefully and debate these issues and use that monument as a tool to turn us against each other to keep us divided
2: Marty I'm afraid that's going to have to be Marty that's going to have to be the last word in this segment because we're just about out of time but Mar, uh, Martin Martin Sutton's been joining us He is the uh, uh, immediate past executive director of the Louisiana Living History Foundation that's put on the reenactment of the Battle of New Orleans and kept another famous part of our history alive He's a proponent of history and we're going to talk and we'll, we'll explore this more in detail on this folks you're listening to the founders show here on wrno wsla we come to you from 8 to 9 a.m monday wednesday and friday on wsla fifteen sixty a.m and from eight our main airing from 8 to 9 a.m on wrno 99 5 fm and 24 hours a day seven days a week on the on-demand section of wrno.com just look for the founders show
3: and marty is, i got to give marty a a, a a clap here uh <clears throat> marty's also played a major role in the uh the, this radio show, in that he got us on the big station. I was on a little one before, WRNO, and uh, played a major role in that and has um, been a real friend of the show and a real supporter of this show. And uh, he's also uh, has a wonderful advertising and PR firm called Smart Media and Marketing. Uh, you need to check it out, smartmedianmarketing.com He is the expert on all of your PR and advertising needs. He's a fine man. And so, Marty, thank you for being with us, and God bless you, and we'll see you. Sometime soon.
4: Thank you,
1: gentlemen. Hi, I'm David Bodner, the Executive Director of the New Orleans Mission. Desperate Reality Facing the Truth is America's only live radio rescue program. Our outreach teams journey deep into the heart of the city, helping hurting people. The New Orleans Mission and the Giving Hope Retreat are all about giving glory to God through rescue, recovery, and reengagement. You can help the hurting people you hear on this show by donating at DesperateReality.com.
3: And folks, this is Chaplain High henry I was very involved with the birth of this show, this radio show, Desperate Reality. It is the only reality rescue talk show in America, and it's heard in over 45 states in the Union. Uh, go to DesperateReality.com and look for your favorite radio station, wherever you live in America, and check us out. It's a very exciting show. It goes from 10 till midnight, 10, 10 p.m. till midnight every Saturday night. It's just a very powerful show. You'll learn a lot. You'll get a lot out of it. You may even have some of your own desperate reality you want to call in about. Go ahead. We'd love to have you on the show. So check us out. And by the way, I'm to inform you all, I am on the board of the New Orleans Mission and uh, was also involved in the origination of the show. God bless you.
2: And we'll see you later. You know you want to give your mother some flowers, maybe a basket. Some special appreciation that Mother's Day is an affair to remember. You certainly don't want to get the grief. Well, folks, there's one place to go for the best floor arrangements, the best baskets, the best New Orleans spirit with the greatest flower arrangements, and that's Villery's Florist. VillariesFlorist.com Florist dot com. 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E, an official sponsor of The Founder Show. Tell them we sent you, and be sure to go to Villery's Florist for all your Mother's Day needs. 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E, delivery across the metro area and the North Shore.
0: digitators and magicians first you see the money then you don't there's nothing to fill the holes while they're filling their pockets Potholes holes and politicians bouncing down the road everybody's wishing for no more corruption and dysfunction it's gonna take divine intervention
3: we're back and you are listening to the Founders Show, where we work hard every show to bring you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And this is Chapman High McHenry with
2: Christopher Tidmore. And ladies and gentlemen, a tale of two House votes. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, two House votes happened on Thursday, and both are consequential to the people of Louisiana. As Representative Steve Scalise, the GOP majority whip, Shepherded the Obamacare repeal through the United States House of Representatives. His one time protege and former assistant, Cameron Henry, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, did the same thing with the health care, with the budget here in the State House of Representatives. It was a very parallel day, especially because in Henry's case, he was accused of destroying health care. Sounds familiar. The reason was, in order to fully uh, fund the TOPS program and restore it to the third rail of Louisiana politics, Henry uh, garnered the House Republicans, the more conservative of the two houses of the Louisiana legislature, into passing a budget that does cut Louisiana universities, but not nearly as much as it cuts the money going to the state hospital systems, particularly the money that funds what's called the public-private partnership. What Henry's proposal, hi, is that um, the state would only spend 97.5 percent of the money that's projected to bring in, because every time it seems like we say we're going to get this much money, we get less. Not a bad idea. Um, you have to understand how to do it. But what he came forward with on this proposal would be a $235 million reduction in in the safety net to state hospitals. It pays for the public-private partnership, basically gets private hospitals to do what the charity hospital system used to do. To give you a point of comparison, it's a major impact on the university hospital here in New Orleans, over on Tulane Avenue and Canal. This is going to have it. It was done to protect the, the TOPS program, and Henry's gotten this through, now goes to the Senate probably for some review. Governor John Bell, but to give you the parallels of what happened on Thursday, where I found it fascinating is, see if this sounds together. Um, if, you hear, if you hear this, if you hear, heard somebody saying, this impacts people's lives, this is life or death, you'd think they were talking about the Obamacare repeal. No, they're talking about the state budget. Almost exactly at the moment that Representative Sam Jones, a Democrat from Franklin, made those statements, Steve Scalise is counting votes in the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, that's been all over cable news. That's been all over talk radio throughout the weekend. But I'll tell you a few things you haven't heard. For one thing, the House Republicans passing the Obamacare repeal with the extra $8 billion, thanks to Michigan's Frank Upton, to try to create the invisible risk pools. Well, they got it passed, if you notice, by five votes, 217 to 213. Why is that important? Well, because nine of the people that pushed that bill over the top were moderates from districts that Hillary Clinton won by more than 10 points, some of them almost 20 points. In the words of Nancy Pelosi, they didn't just put a target on their back. They put a tattoo on their back of the target. Democrats went so far as to to sing, you know, na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye in the House of Representatives. I don't make this. I've got a 100 of them. And so what the one thing that Steve Scalise did not want to do is the whip. The whip is the guy who arranges the votes. He literally whips them is make sure just one moderate voted for this that are in those endangered districts. He wanted at least a margin of five, so one person could not be accused of being the person who put the Obamacare repeal over the top. Why? Because the bill that's going to the Senate, ladies and gentlemen, that may die in the Senate, is got some positive things. It actually answers a situation which Democrats haven't answered, which is Frankly, 94 counties now in Iowa have no health insurance. Aetna is about to pull out of Virginia. There's something like um, almost of the 3,000 counties in America, 1,000 of them are in danger of losing any health care coverage under the Obamacare exchanges. Democrats aren't dealing with that. But Republicans aren't dealing with a reality that came through, which is if you're going to create high-risk pools for people that have pre-existing conditions so you can lower rates – you have to fund those high-risk pools. The bill came up with $8 billion. You know how much high the actual estimate is to, to fully fund high-risk pools at the same level as what, what's called the community rating is? $200 billion. Billion dollars. billion be here, being there, sooner or later you get some real money. So this is bill is going to the Senate. Why did I just bring up that rather technical thing and people's eyes are going over? Because guess who's the person who wants to add more money and is one of the critics of the House bill to say that all politics is local is absurd in this state situation? For it is Dr. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Bill Cassidy is one of the people who is a severe critic of the House bill, and he wants to see significant changes. How far will those changes go? Well, Right now, the House bill saves about a trillion dollars over the next 10 years. It's being used, as we've explained on this program, as a way of being able to fund the a lot of the tax cuts that President Trump even talked about in the Rose Garden ceremony. What the Senate Republicans moderates want to do is basically increase... The protections for those with pre-existing conditions, increase the refundable tax credits so that seniors who are getting a worse deal get a better deal. Frankly, it strengthens the bill in the Republican case, but it makes cutting taxes more difficult. How will the, uh, the, the administration, Vice President Pence, Rince Priebus, and the g- gang do it in the Senate? Well, they better start negotiating, for if one Louisiana, Louisianian, Steve Scalise, saved him in the House— it's gonna be another Louisianian, Bill Cassidy that's gonna be their major stumbling block on the Republican caucus in the Senate.
3: Well, Christopher, I tell you politics is a wild animal, isn't it? You just never know what's gonna happen. Uh the 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 synchronicity, the synergy, the explosive craziness of it all is almost more than the mind can handle. I'm glad we have a man like you, Christopher who makes us his life's calling. Thank you, Christopher.
2: Well, thank you for the praise. Not deserved. But I will say this. Um, i, I got to say, I've never seen this before. I watched it. I, I'm correspondingly watching the state House vote. House Bill 1, by the way, went to the Senate almost exactly the same time as the Obamacare repeal, the American Health Care Act, went to the U.S. Senate um, in the state. But I'm watching on two screens. And then, of course, there is a Rose Garden ceremony for the passing of Trump care, if you want to call it that, the American health care bill out of the House. Now you're saying, okay, well, so what? Hi, it's the first time in American history anybody has ever had a rose garden or a White House ceremony for passing you the bill, a bill out of one of the two houses of Congress. It's never been done before. I'm actually not critical. Donald Trump needed a victory. It made smart politics. It didn't hurt anything. He got he got airtime. From a political standpoint, I kind of admire it. But I got to say. Guys, he acted like he had just passed it out of the Congress or as, it's going to the Senate and the chances of it passing the Senate are maybe 30 or 40%. <laughs> I wonder if this is going to go back and blow up on everybody. And when will the Senate vote on it, Christopher? Well, everybody, the recess for Congress just went in, so they're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And then it's going to go back and review. And what you're going to see is Cassidy uh, wanting more money for pre-existing conditions. Shelley Moore Capito, who's a Republican from West Virginia, along with Rob uh, Portman from Ohio, wanting to restore uh, some of the Medicaid funding that comes through. And that's going to be the fight. It's, uh, the, it's not going to be about the major issue that the Freedom Caucus was worried about, the, the guaranteed parts. They're going to want more money in the bill. If they add it and it's sent back to the House of Representatives amended, Will the Freedom Caucus gets mad because it spends more. I don't know.
3: Well, and really the way I understand it is, of course, the Senate will not accept it like it is now. They're going to amend it. They're going to offer changes. And so there's going to be a committee that will meet between the House and the Senate, and they'll try to work it out. And perhaps what we don't know but what people on the inside in D.C. do know that there's already been agreements made, and they're probably going to go ahead and work something out, and then it will pass. So that's what I'm hoping, and maybe that's why Trump is celebrating right now. Yeah,
2: uh, I, I hate to tell you, no, um, because there are a lot of members who've already come out. There, two members have already said they're not voting for it, so they're at 50 members with the tie breaking vote. So how do you handle that? I will say this. There is one advantage they have in the Senate, that they don't, uh, in the U.S. Senate, that they don't have in the state Senate. As Steve Scalise sends it off to the U.S. Senate, he knows one thing. The federal government can print more money. It can run a deficit. Here in Louisiana, as Cameron Henry sends the bill with Tara LeBras to the state Senate to protect tops, he cut hospitals and uh, universities, but really cut hospitals. John Alario doesn't like that. There's a big hospital called West Jefferson in his district and, it, and all the others in the university hospital. He'd rather cut tops. So what they're going to have to do, if you think Obamacare fights are hard, imagine fighting between tops and hospitals in the Louisiana State Senate. That's also coming up next week. The Louisiana legislative session is half over. One other little thing um, as we finish off in this segment high, I've got a transition. Jazz Fest came upon us and I I didn't get to say hellos as we tape this on Thursday. I have to give you the most solemn greeting I've ever given you. May the fourth be with you. It's Star Wars day as we tape this, folks. And it seems like Star Wars by what I'm going to give this, this answer. If anybody saw, there was a very competitive judge race in New Orleans between Rachel Johnson, the daughter of Burnett Johnson, the Chief Justice, an African American attorney, very capable, but she's running against one of the she had run against one of the best litigators that was out there. Her name is Susie Montero. Susie Montero led in the primary, 45% of the vote. Actually, on the election day, got 49.6% in the primary. A lot of people thought she was going to win. Instead, in the runoff, she loses to Rachel Johnson, 54-46. Here's what they found out. The white vote that came out to the polls on the runoff was roughly the same as it was in the primary, but the black vote surged. Now, what caused it? Susie Montero is not some radical white right winger. She's a, a, a democratic woman. She's nothing threatening to the black community. What happened? Well, the theory has been amongst insiders that while African-Americans came to vote, white people w- went to go hear music. They went to Jazz Fest. Whether this is true or not is the subject of my column this week in the Louisiana Weekly. You can get it at louisianaweekly.com starting Monday but we'll, or pick up a copy of my newspaper if you want to spend a dollar. I hope you would. But what I analyze with Dr. Ed Shervenak of the University of New Orleans is how these votes broke down. And here's what I found. That's true on election day. And it may be the reason why Rachel Johnson, the black candidate, won and Susie Montero didn't. There wasn't a similar surge of the white vote. Could they have gone to Jazz Fest? It's entirely possible. It was a beautiful day on Saturday. Not like Sunday, but Saturday was a beautiful day. The, 28th of, the 29th of April. But in the primary the early voting surged as well. It surged amongst whites, yet Susie Montero lost 60-40 in early voting. Some white people turned around, ladies and gentlemen, and voted for Burnett Johnson. Some Republicans did over Susie Montero in Orleans Parish. To go through and break down of how that lives in... Um, you can look at the numbers by going to LouisianaWeekly.net, but essentially it boils down to Montero, the overwhelming favorite, ladies and gentlemen, ends up losing for that reason. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, uh, and we'll be back right after this. Well, hello there,
3: folks. This is Chapin High McHenry, and as you all probably know already, I am the founding director and president of Lamb Ministries, an inner-city ministry with an inner-city formula for inner-city folks, and we would love for you to check us out. You can go to our website, lambnola.com, that's L-A-M-B-N-O-L-A dot com, and find out what we're doing, find out what we're all about. We're here helping people in the city of New Orleans, the urban poor, inner-city kids, and even, we have an even adult professional business and retirement division in our ministry right now we are on a capital drive to raise funds for two vans we've already got one done so we got one finished one left to go that's the big one the 12 seater we got the minivan and we want to thank you all so much for your help there we are a vehicle vehicle intensive ministry and we require a tremendous amount of uh, use of our vans they are very, very old and worn out, and the mechanics said don't even try to fix them. Get, a, get new ones. So that's what we're doing right now, folks. Go to our website, lambnola.com, L-A-M-B-N-O-L-A.com. We need prayer, we need volunteers, and we need financial support. So if you have any interest in any of that, we sure do appreciate it. Thank you so very much, and God
2: bless you all out there. Today's edition of the Founders Show is brought to you by Villaries Florist, VillariesFlorist.com, SmartMedia and Marketing.com, and the French America Line. Catch them on the web with the new Riverboat Louisiane going from New Orleans to St. Paul, Minnesota at FrenchAmericaLine.com. And special, just one departure. Partnering with French America Line and the travel agency Uncommon Journeys, ladies and gentlemen, the listeners of the Founders Show are being offered a special opportunity. Only to our listeners, folks, so you must call for this. Imagine being able to get on a train from New Orleans, go to Chicago, and get on a pocket cruise ship in downtown Chicago that goes through Lake Michigan up to Mackinac Island, the Victorians, down through. Uh, Lake Huron stops at Cleveland and other locations and then goes down the historic Erie Canal past West Point, where so many of our leaders went, to New York Harbor and then up to Newport, Rhode Island, an 88 uh, uh, 88 personnel vessel. And ladies and gentlemen, there are six cabins left, just six cabins for people that are listening to the show at a special price. Folks, this is a trip you don't want to miss because yours truly, Christopher Tidmore, is not only leading this trip on the July 14th 2017 just a couple months from now July 14th 2017 but we are actually doing the radio show from the blunt cruise trip from Chicago to New York to Rhode Island, down the Erie Canal. And you can be on the air and be on the boat with us. Check them out, UncommonJourneys.com. Tell them you heard it on WRNO, WSLA, and The Founder's Show. Or call yours truly, Christopher Tidmore, if you're interested in this uh, cruise, at 504-390-4579. That's 504-390-4579. FrenchAmericaline.com, an official sponsor of The Founder's Show. Now, back to the program.
0: Holes politicians, the press, the digitators, and magicians. First you see the money, then you don't. There's nothing. To-
3: and folks, we're back. And of course, this is the Founder Show with yours truly, Chaplin High,
2: again, where you spend Gary Baba the Republic with. Christopher Tidmore, and ladies and gentlemen, I thought we'd appee, because we' going into the patriotic segment, with something very distinctly, New Orleans, but national, and you're going to hear me hi, defend Donald Trump. high is he's going into shock.
3: My God, Christopher, I think it's a big one. I think it's a big one. "Mama, I'm coming, I'm coming."
2: Well, even a stop clock is right twice a day, but no, I'll give the president a little credit on something. He actually made a statement that Andrew Jackson would have been able to stop the Civil War. And a lot of uh, newspapers came out criticizing this. Oh, he was dead for 16 years. What is going on? Well, immediately, anyone who knows Andrew Jackson, and if you're a student of the War of 1812, you know that it's not Donald Trump who's just said that. It was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said if Andrew Jackson had been in office rather than James Buchanan, what would have happened is he would have immediately pulled out the personnel to the, uh, to the forts, the customs personnel. He would have immediately armed it. He would have said, we're going to line you up against a wall and shoot you if you try to secede. Why do we know this? Because in 1832, South Carolina tried to secede. And – The person who was advising President Buchanan to do this was the Secretary of State, Louis Cass, who was the Secretary of War, today's term, Secretary of Defense, under Andrew Jackson. Jackson had actually mapped out a scenario to stop a Southern secession. And the reason I bring all this out is Trump was quite correct. None other than Abraham Lincoln was saying, God, he had wished Andrew Jackson had been president at the time. And I bring all this out because... In the midst of taking down the monuments, everyone's saying, Andrew Jackson is next. But the irony of the whole situation is, Andrew Jackson would not only not have been a Confederate, he would have lined up Confederates and shot them against the wall. We know that for a fact because he believed more than anything else in the Union, in the United States, in the manifest destiny of the country. You may argue what he did to Indians this, but not his patriotism. And that's the part that I worry when we go in the statues, that it, everybody says, well, Andrew Jackson's next. My God, this is comparing truly apples to oranges. And this has come from somebody who thinks this whole thing has been blown out of proportion with the monuments. It really is if we go that far.
3: Of course, people don't even understand what he did with the Indians. He was not anti-Indian or anti-Native uh, American uh, he had three sons that were all adopted. one was his nephew. The other two were were, were Indian kids. He adopted and raised as his own children uh, he, on his deathbed he went to went to the his his just deserts, if you will, he went to heaven, I believe um, <clears throat> grieving over the Indian Removal act that it had been the wrong thing to do. He made a mistake unless he had the integrity and the honesty to admit it. He did so many great things again. Everybody has their problems and mistakes in life. Uh, many have many problems and mistakes. And uh, so uh, let's remember Andrew Jackson for the great things he did. And there, there's so many to list here. Um, he, uh, the, the reason for the Indian Removal Act was he knew that Indians lived in a state of war. All tribal people do throughout the history of the world, all around the world. They still do. I can take you to tribal areas right now, and you better watch it. They're probably going to have a tribal war going on. The, uh, I've lived in those areas, I know. And uh, he knew that also. He had, been in, he had lived with the Indians, he'd fought with the Indians, and he knew Native American culture. He figured if you could move them to the backside of the moon, which was Oklahoma at the time, which was almost empty, there, were, there was very, very, very few uh, tribal activity going on, very little tribal activity going on there, that uh, it would have re- resolved the, much of the bloodshed that even the Indians did among themselves because they were usually also at war with one another. Uh, it, it was not a good plan. But remember this. The trail of tears did not happen on his watch. It happened on, under Van Buren's watch, which was very poorly handled. If it had, the logistics had been done right, there would have been no trail of tears. But the other big mistake in this thing was he violated the Constitution by taking people's land from them without due process. Uh, that, was, that was a big, big mistake, and he realized it later on. Anyway, Christopher, um, it is about time for us to go into our chaplain baba patriotic moment and then
2: our gospel moment. Do you have any last parting comments? Just simply, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say something. I'm going to compliment, you know, when we went back and forth in the monuments at the beginning. The one monument that may be the last to come down is Beauregard's monument. Did you know, High, that it's the only monument to a native-born Frenchman from New Orleans in the city of New Orleans?
3: What a tragedy. What a mess. What a, what a huge mistake. And by the way, the artists have turned on droves because they know that these statues are great works of art. Some of the finest sculpture anywhere and found anywhere in the world. What a, what a what a pathetic thing. There are plenty of places to put up new monuments, new statues. That if you want to promote something that you like, go do it. These statues were all done by with private money. Private money should be the ones that are controlling this and owning it. Uh, we're being our, our own constitutional rights are being violated just on that. <clears throat> if you want to have a monument for something that is in opposition to our monuments, put one up. Go for it, buddy. I wish you would do it. Do it instead of crying, whining, complaining and being a very destructive bully in our fair city here in New Orleans. And for our Chaplain Baba patriotic moment today, we're going to hear about Reverend Richard Allen. Now, folks, we do this every day on our show to remind you of the biblical foundations of America, our Judeo-Christian jurisprudence, pulling out famous and great people in American history who prove up beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a very solid and very powerful biblical foundation. Today, again, it's going to be about Reverend Richard Allen, who was born to slave parents in Philadelphia and then later was sold with his family to a southern plantation in Dover, Delaware. With the encouragement and permission of his master, he began attending Methodist revival meetings and learned to read and write. Richard Allen was converted at age 16 and is said to have worked harder to prove that Christianity did not make slaves worse servants But better servants. Richard Allen then invited a minister to visit and preach to his master on the plantation, resulting in his master's conversion after hearing that on the judgment day slaveholders would be weighed in the balance and found wanting. With the fear of God and hell fire, his repentant master made arrangements for Richard, now 26, to become free. Richard Allen became a licensed exhorter and preacher and founded the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Their first church building was dedicated in 1794 by America's first Methodist bishop, the circuit-riding preacher Francis Asbury. By the time of Richard Allen's death, March 26, 1831, the African Methodist Episcopal Church had grown to over 10,000 members. Richard Allen stated in his writings, This land, which we have watered with our tears and our blood, is now our mother country, and we are well satisfied to stay where wisdom abounds and the gospel is free. Folks, I know that Richard Allen certainly wanted to keep God in government just like Martin Luther King, who made it very clear and very boldly uh, proclaim that the church is the conscience of the government, along with his many other biblical quotes and, and statements pointing out that if we followed our biblical foundations, America would be great again. Well, folks, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Uh, I know that when I die, I don't have to fear hellfire. I'm going to heaven because I've found the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you all about that as we now go into our Chaplain Baba gospel moment. But one last thing about Richard Allen, he he was the one who founded the AME Church. That's African Methodist Episcopal Church. And that was a very church where this terrible event happened a few years ago in South Carolina. And the uh, that sicko came in and, and martyred uh, those wonderful, wonderful, sweet Christians, uh, and which is, in, you know, the, our mayor used that tragedy to, Push his political agenda here in New Orleans, which is such a, a, a such a statement of a despicable thing to do. But anyway, back to this precious old church. Do you know that those members forgave that wicked man? I mean, that's real Christianity, folks. Think about that. Well, back to being a real Christian. I want to just take a few more minutes now to remind you of how you can know that you know that you know when you die, you're going to heaven. You're saved from hell. You know the Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love. How do we know he did that? Well, we know it because he became a man, so he could be very up close and personal with all of us. That man's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this earth to take care of your sin problem and your death problem. He took care of your sin problem when he died on the cross for all of your sins, where the Bible says his blood washed away all your sins. And then he rose from the dead to take care of your death problem so he could win for you His precious free gift of resurrection, everlasting life. And, of course, I'm talking about Jesus, who was perfect God and perfect man, all the way God and all the way man. He is God the Son, the lover of your soul. You know, the Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love. Why don't you get in on that love today, folks? All you got to do is believe, the Bible says. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Scripture says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that's you and that's everybody, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him, believe what? That he died for all your sins and rose from the dead. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, the Script Jesus kept saying, repent and believe. Repentance is plainly and simply believing you cannot save yourself. When you come to that point in your life where you know you're a lost and damned sinner and that there's nothing you can do to earn heaven or, or, or please God in your own righteousness, as the scripture says, all of your righteousness are as filthy rags. When you come to that reality, you just repented. And when you do and you're no longer trusting yourself to save you from hell and guarantee you heaven, you're finally free to believe that only Jesus can, that he did, and that he will save you from hell and guarantee you heaven. You're free to put faith alone in Christ alone. If you've never done that, do it now. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. You may not get tomorrow, folks, and like the old country preacher said, don't wait till it's too late. We want to thank you so much for being with us on this show as we now close with a Mont Saint Martin singing a Creole goodbye.
0: They call We think we're just wasting wasting our our time, time. but a minute or three, say bon, say la vie. There's time.